Welcome to the Vineyard Church Message of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information on this podcast or other resources, go to vineyardlive.us. To learn more about us, go to thevineyardchurch.us. Well, welcome to the Vineyard. Thanks for joining us today, whether you're here in Urbana or you're joining us down in Sullivan or over in Bloomington Normal or on Vineyard Live. Thanks for spending part of your weekend with us. How many of you have been driving um, out of a store, like a grocery store, and as you go through the exit, you see a man or woman standing there with a sign asking for help? And I don't know about you, but so often I feel guilty as I drive by with this car full of fresh food. Or perhaps you've driven by Interstate 74 and you've seen a man or a woman standing on the side of the road with a sign that says something like, homeless, anything will help. And oftentimes these men and women, they look disheveled. They may have a physical or mental disability. And I don't know about you, but I find my conscience so conflicted in moments like this. You know, part of me feels compassion, like I should help them. And then there's another part of me that just kind of wonders, like, is this the best way to get help? Surely there is a better way to get help. Does anyone else feel slightly conflicted when they see? Okay. So several years ago, I was driving out of Sam's Club with my son, um, who was like four or five at the time, and we passed a man who had a sign that said, hungry and homeless. And I drove right past the man. I was in a hurry at a van full of groceries to get home and put away when my five-year-old began to ask me questions. And he said to me, mom, what's that man doing? And I explained, you know, he's homeless and he's asking for help. And my five-year-old was just furious with me about how we, were, we responded, that we drove away. And so I actually heard the Holy Spirit tell me to take out my phone and to record him. You're going to be tempted to judge me because I was driving, but this was before the laws had been changed. And so you are going to watch a clip of the conversation that I had with my son, Tate. Yeah. So we just saw someone on the side of the road, right? Yeah. And what did you say? You said that you think we should have stopped? Yeah. Why? Because they're homeless. They're homeless. Like, they're freezing, they're cold. Yeah. And and who who gives us hope? God. Uh Uh-huh. What do you you think God wants us to do with people who are hurting and hopeless? Help them. Help them, yeah. Okay. So, I need to tell you a story that Jesus tells me. Okay, I want to hear. Okay. This guy was walking to the church. Uh huh. And he thought was leaving the Okay. Didn't. The, the church leader walked by. Yeah. kind of like we were one of the Jewish people who, who passed those homeless people? Yeah, we were one of the Jewish people who passed it. What, what should we have done? We should have stopped and given him some food? Yeah, and take him home. And take him home, okay. For one day night. Okay, for one day night, okay. You, you have a heart of compassion, buddy. Do you love people? I like everybody. You do? But they're still a stranger. 
Yeah. You still like them. If, even if they're a stranger, you still like them? Yeah. Yeah. If they're a stranger. They were a stranger. I want you to cut the hell everybody. Not this, not this people you know. And yeah. That's really powerful, buddy. I can tell that Jesus lives in your heart. And he gave you a new heart. I'm really proud of you. <laughs> Isn't that good? You know, what happened here? Tate saw this man and his conscience was convicted. He had heard the story of the Good Samaritan and Kingdom Kids, and he knew how Jesus wanted him to respond. And I just have to pause here for a moment because I think we so often forget what a treasure we have in our children's ministry here, that our kids week in and week out not only learn who Jesus is, they learn who they are. And so we just want to say thank you to the men and women who faithfully serve down there. And if you would like to be Jesus juked by a child, they are always looking for more volunteers so you can go down and get more information. You know, Tate's conscience was convicted, but truthfully, my conscience wasn't convicted. I mean, I know that homelessness and, and caring for the poor is something that's really important to Jesus, and yet we had a different reaction to a, the same situation. You know, how do we love and relate to people who believe things and behave differently than we do? We've been in this series called Clean Living where we've been exploring how are we supposed to live this spiritually sustainable life? And the very first week, Di launched us off with a message where she shared that we've been given a new clean heart. We've been given a clean conscience by Jesus when we say yes to him. And then last week, Putty had a powerful message about how we live in the reality of our new righteous identity, how we learn to live with this gift of conscience that God's given us. And I loved the language he used, that our conscience is the voice of our heart. And so today I'm going to continue our series where I ask the question, how do we love and relate to people in the family of God when it comes to differing consciences? You know, our conscience, it's a really important part of our life. It's an important tool that the Holy Spirit uses to help us know how to live our life. It's a really important tool. And we believe that it is a gift from the Holy Spirit that we need to learn to steward. You know, my conscience, it may allow me to do things that your conscience doesn't allow you to do. But in Galatians 5, we read this verse. This is what it says. Every believer is ultimately responsible for his or her own conscience. You know, this can be a slippery slope. When my conscience allows me to do something, but your conscience does not, and I cause you to stumble into something that's not God's best for you. And that can happen conversely. Maybe you have freedom in a certain area and I don't. And so I stumble or I fall into something that isn't God's best for, for me. You know, we want to ask the question, how do we love and relate to one another when we believe and behave differently from one another? And I think there's two toxins that can come against this clean living life. First is the toxin of arrogance. We think we're better than other people. And secondly is the toxin of judgment. We think we're right and the other person is wrong. And these two toxins, they can keep us from building healthy relationships with one another. But I believe that the family that God's building, the family of the future is a family that's built on unity and love and respect as we learn to relate to one another despite our differences, without judgment, 
without arrogance and without causing one another to stumble. And so I'm going to invite the Holy Spirit to be our teacher today. So Holy Spirit, we welcome you here today. You are the good teacher. We welcome you in this house, Father, to bring your clarity, God, to bring your revelation of this topic. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, well, every single day we interact with many different people who all have a conscience. And their conscience is based on a number of different things. But today I want to narrow our conversation and I want to talk about how we love and relate to people who are inside the family of God. Now, that doesn't mean that God doesn't care about how we love and relate to people who are outside his family. It's just that his word is actually very clear about how we should treat one another inside the family, and that's where I want to focus. Now, how many of you, if I said Christians are known for being judgmental, you would know that? Oh, good, good, good. Okay, but oftentimes I think we think that Christians, we think of it as Christians being judgmental of, like, non-Christians. But unfortunately, Christians are also known of being judgmental with one another. And I want to address some of those issues today. When we come into relationship with Jesus, when we say yes to him, he gives us a, blank, a brand new clean heart. And we then begin to live in the reality of this new identity that he has given us. Each of, the, each of us is on a journey with Jesus where he is training us through his Holy Spirit, guiding us, protecting us, directing us. And one of the tools that he uses to do this is the gift of our conscience, okay? God's word in our relationship with Jesus, become a guiding force for us as we determine what's right in our lives and what's wrong. And so it's really important that we learn how to steward this gift of conscience. And a couple weeks ago, Di used Romans 2.15. And in that verse, it says that the conscience both commends us and corrects us. It has a really important job in our lives. And it's this powerful tool. You know, we want our conscience, we want it to align with God's will and his ways. And we're trusting the Holy Spirit to help us do this alignment so that we can listen to the voice in our heart and remember that our mind sometimes needs to be renewed. Our conscience, it isn't this thing like that's outside of us. It's within us. And so we need to learn to steward and take care of it. And during this series, a couple people have said to me, well, Julie, is my conscience the same thing as the Holy Spirit? And maybe you've had that question. And we would say no, because every single person, whether they know Jesus and are filled with the Holy Spirit or don't, they have a conscience. So this is what your conscience is again. Remember, we've defined it as each person's God-given capacity to be aware, conscious of what one believes is right and wrong. Now, why this can sometimes be confusing on if it's the Holy Spirit is because one of the Holy Spirit's chief jobs in our life is to convict us of our righteousness, to keep us in, in line with what he has for us. And so oftentimes he's using that tool of your conscience to say, that's not okay for you, that's not who you are, or he's giving you freedom. Okay, and so the Holy Spirit partners with our conscience to teach us how to live and work. Now, the Bible is really clear about certain sin issues, and those aren't really issues that we're going to talk about today. So issues such as murder, sexual immorality, greed, lust, gossip, witchcraft, those are sins. Those are sins. And if, you, if your conscience has told you that participating in one of those things is actually okay, what you've done is you've seared your conscience. You've damaged your conscience. And so you, you might may believe that it's okay, but you have deceived yourself. 
That is not okay. Now, there are a huge range of other issues, which I would say aren't so black and white. They live more in a gray space. And that's where we want to focus our time today. There are areas and issues of personal freedom where we honestly have a lot of choice. Now, when we're in the family of God, this isn't like, well, this is Julie's truth and that's your truth, because that can be a temptation. No, Jesus is the truth and he's our guide. However, there are many areas where maybe there's principles that the Bible talks about, but there's not clear instruction. And so that's where we want to kind of focus today. How many of you, when you were a child, had bold proclamations about what you were going to do when you were an adult? You know, were you going to stay up as late as you want? Were you going to drink as many pops as you wanted? I mean, for me, it was all about bubble gum. I loved bubble gum. When I was six years old, I told my mom, I'm going to have bubble gum every day, and you can't stop me. You know, the illusions of adulthood, all we think about is the freedom and not the responsibility. But the truth is that every single day, we have a ton of freedom. We actually get to make a ton of choices in our lives. We get to choose what we eat, where we go, who we hang out with, where we live, where we work, what we do with our time. Did you know that research suggests that you make 35,000 choices a day, conscious and subconscious? Think about how many choices you're making and what governs our choice it's often, our conscience. And so it's important that we're aligning our conscience to what Jesus says. And yes, he's the guiding force, but the truth is there's lots of personal freedom. You know, it doesn't take you long to, to discover that no two people are exactly alike. No two people believe and behave exactly the same way. I don't care if you're happily married or your siblings raised by the same parents or your best friends. We all have different perspectives and personalities and backgrounds and thought processes that lead us to this place of diversity. But we're obsessed with being right. Have you ever noticed that? We really are. We're obsessed with being right. And so let's just take a couple examples here for a moment. You know, some would say, you know, what's the right way to do budgeting? How should we spend our money? Some may say, you know, to be godly, you must live completely frugally. Never spend more than you should. You should live in a very simple home and keep everything as frugal as possible. Other people would say, you know what, after years of hard work and generosity, I have no problem building a custom home. Which is right. Which is wrong. You see, what happens is those toxins, they begin to work their way into our lives and we find ourselves being judgmental of what someone else decides. We say, well, that's not right. That's not how God would want you to do it. Or we, or we think to ourselves, well, I'm better than that. Like, I don't need to be bound by unnecessary rules. This applies in a lot of different areas. How should Christians feel about electronics? Should you, like me, only be allowed to watch 30 minutes of Gospel Bill a day as a child? I mean, that's all I was allowed to watch. Should children be able to play Fortnite? We had a kid in here last night that was like, yes! <laughs> should Christians be Democrats or should they be Republicans? Should Christians drink alcohol? I mean, like, now I'm getting, like, really personal and people are like, I don't know. What is she going to say? There's no clear scripture on this, right? There really isn't. Now, there's principles from the Bible that we can follow, but the reality is there are some incredible freedoms that we live in, and these toxins of judgment and arrogance are just right there to trap us and to keep us from loving, loving and relating to one another from a place of honor and unity. And so we don't want to do that. So the question we're asking today is, 
How does God want us to relate to brothers and sisters in the family of God with differing consciences? And why is it so important to live in love and unity with one another? You know, I'm going to turn now to Romans 14, and we're going to unpack a little bit. I'm going to be in the Message Bible to start. And what I love is that Paul is going to give us some really bold instructions. He's going to tell us that we want to choose love over law and people over preference. You know, this isn't a new problem, which is kind of comforting to me. Is that ever comforting to you? Like, gosh, people were dealing with this back then. And so Paul's going to be talking to Christians in Rome, and he's going to be talking to them because they were struggling over some of these areas of personal freedom. Now, he doesn't use the word conscience in this passage, but the context is there. And there's a parallel passage in 1 Corinthians 8, Putty used this last week, where they're talking about food. And they're going to talk a little bit about food in this passage. What I'm going to do is I'm going to read and then I'm going to stop and we'll talk about it a little bit. Okay, so I'm picking up now. This is God's instructions on cultivating good relationships. Verse 1, welcome with open arms fellow believers who don't see things the way you do. Easier said than done. And don't jump all over them every time they do or say something you don't agree with. This was obviously written before Facebook. Even when it seems that they are strong on opinions but weak in the faith department, remember, they have their own history to deal with. Treat them gently. That's just one verse of the Bible. Isn't like we could spend the rest of the time unpacking this verse. This verse is just packed with a powerful lesson to us. Why is it so hard for us to welcome people who think differently than us? I want us to stop and actually reflect on that for a minute. Why is it so difficult for us to welcome people? And what does Paul say? Welcome with open arms. You know, I think that so often it's hard for us to welcome people who are different than us because we're afraid that we're not enough. We compare who we are. We compare our calling, our gifting, our life with someone else. And what we're hoping is that we'll be able to push them down and elevate ourselves. We're looking for justification that we're doing it the right way. And I want to suggest to us today that we humbly say, this is what I'm called to, but that might not be how you're called to live your life. It's really challenging. I'm challenged by this. I have not had this figured out in my life. I'm on the journey with you. And don't, don't jump, over the, jump all over them every time they do or say something you don't agree with. Again, so challenging because we want to justify our thoughts, our beliefs, and our actions. We want to actually, like, we want to do it the right way, and we want people to do it our way. And so it's just so tempting to do this. I love here that Paul even tells us, like, even when they're strong on opinions but weak on faith, that's still not even an excuse to, to, to like, go after them. No. What does, he tell us to tell, what does he tell us to do? Remember, they have their own history to deal with. Treat them gently. This is so, so powerful, right? That we want to remember that each person has a history with God. I've already said, every person who's in the family of God, they're on a personal journey with Jesus. A journey with Jesus that actually you're not invited to because it's a personal relationship. A journey where Jesus is growing them and teaching them. They have their own histories. They have their own past. They have bought battles that they've fought, battles that they've won, battles that they're still in. I was talking to a friend, and she said to me that one time the Lord challenged her and said, you know, you, she was complaining about, well, that friend gets to do that. And, and God said to her, that friend has invited me into her heart and into that situation, and we've had a lot of conversations. You won't invite me into the conversation. 
And she realized, like, God, I'm, I'm judging this person's relationship with you. I'm not treating them gently. I'm treating them like that I know better and that I'm arrogant and I'm judgmental. And so Paul's encouragement to us there is don't do that. Don't do that. We want to treat people gently, knowing that every person is on a personal journey with Jesus. I think we need to come face to face with our ignorance. And our ignorance is simply our lack of knowledge. What we don't know about a person is keeping us from being able to love and relate to them. And can I just tell you, ignorance is a stepping stone to arrogance. Comparison is a catalyst to judgment. And so we want to like refrain from doing this as we learn to love and to relate to one another. God obviously loves diversity. God obviously wants us to learn how to live with one another in relationships. And so that's what we want to try to do. We need to come face to face with this because when we put our conscience's standards on someone else, the toxins of judgment and arrogance will be allowed to run wild. I'm going to continue reading now in Romans 14. I'm going to pick up in verse 2, and now he's going to talk a little bit about the food, okay? So this is verse 2. For instance, a person who has been around for a while might well be convinced that he can eat anything on the table, while another with, different, with a different background might assume all Christians should be vegetarians and eat accordingly. But since both are guests at Christ's table, wouldn't it be terribly rude if they fell to criticizing what the other ate or didn't eat? God, after all, invited them both to the table. Do you have any business crossing people off the guest list or interfering with God's welcome? If there are corrections to be made or manners to be learned, God can handle that without your help. <laughs> Ouch. <laughs> Let me give you some context. Paul's talking to two specific groups of people here. He's talking to Gentile Christians in Rome. And these Christians, they had just come into faith. And honestly, their consciences are what I would call a more open conscience. They did not feel any tension with eating meat. And so they believed that everything belonged to God and that they could eat anything they wanted to eat. Okay, and then we also had Jewish Christians. These Christians were raised in the faith, uh, in the Jewish faith. And many of you know that in the Jewish faith, there are many laws about what was clean and unclean. They lived with what I'm going to call a more cautious conscience. Their conscience did not allow them to eat meat. And so what's happening here is these two groups of Christians with open consciences and cautious consciences, they begin to fight with one another and to say, I'm right, no, I'm right, no, I'm right. And if they had actually been okay with just saying like, actually, I'm just going to respect this area of gray that you feel one way, but we feel another way, Paul probably never would have written Romans 14, but humans being what humans are, they just couldn't get over it. And so he goes on to write. And now, when we hear things like cautious conscience or open conscience, I think many of our minds go to, well, which one's the good one? Like, which one, which one should a good Christian have? And like, which one should a bad Christian have? You cannot think about cautious and open as good or bad. Because categorically, no one has an open conscience or a completely cautious conscience. It comes down to the specific thing at hand. Let me give you an example. Some of you may have an open conscience when it comes to what you eat, your diet. You may feel total freedom that you don't have to restrict in any way. But when it comes to like your use of electronics, you might feel a more cautious conscience. You might feel the Holy Spirit telling you, you know, these things aren't wise for you. You need to take precaution. Okay, so it's not a matter of good or bad, but Paul's trying to get them to realize, like, you aren't supposed to judge people or feel arrogant on these gray issues. Both are actually okay. 
Now, we don't fight so much about food these days, but let me give you a more contemporary example. I want to talk about how people feel about birth control. Now, some people believe that birth control is wrong, that God decides how many children you should have, and you should never use birth control. These people would have what I call a more cautious conscience. And then other people, they believe that they can control how many children that God has given them. They have a more open conscience. They believe that God has given them the right to take birth control and to control the number of children. Or you can be like me and think you're controlling the number of children you have, and then, whoops, I'm pregnant and having a baby this summer. And yes, you can laugh about that. Uh, <laughs> but let's, talk, let's think about this for a minute. There's actually a lot of judgment when it comes to our family size. A lot of judgment. You know, you say to a woman who has a large family, do you know how this happens? Yes, amazingly, she does know how it happens. <laughs> and you, you're like, I can't believe you're going to have that many kids. Well, believe it, because it's going to happen. You say to someone who only has two kids, well, didn't you want more? And you feel this place of like judgment of like, well, how can you control that? Shouldn't God control that? You know, this is just an area of conscience. Some of us feel freedom in certain areas, and some of us feel a little bit more cautious in other areas. And yet we're so dead set on people doing it the same way that we're doing it. And that is just wrong. That's actually not going to build the family of the future that God's calling us to. He actually wants us to lay down our right to be right and pick up the joy of loving one another and serving one another in any way. Yeah. Okay. I have no idea where I'm at, but that's totally fine. <laughs> okay. That last line of like, if God has matters or manners that he wants to deal with, you can leave it up to God. I mean, it's, it's kind of like a little slap in the face. Some of us need that. But others of us are thinking to ourselves, wait, does that mean I can never have a conversation with somebody? Like, what, what does that mean? Like, I, I can't have a conversation with someone who's imploding their life? Let me be clear. Someone who is imploding their life with sin, you should absolutely have a conversation if you have relationship. However, Many of the matters I'm talking about today are these gray issues. Now, a conversation still might need to be had, but before you have the conversation, remove the condemnation. And could you actually enter into that conversation with the number one goal being connection and not your conscience? Because here's the deal. If your number one goal is, I want to I understand this person. I want my heart to be connected to them. Then you're not going to go in with an attitude of arrogance and judgment because of your conscience, you're going to go in to seek to better understand. Conversation can open the door to change. We shouldn't be afraid to have conversation, but we need to do it with the right heart motive. So if we keep reading down in Romans 14, we're going to see, like, they don't just argue about food. They argue about holy days. And Paul's, like, pulling his hair out at the time. But for some reason, I always think that Paul's bald in my head. I'm not really sure if he is or he isn't, but that's what he is in my head. But, like, you know, metaphorically, like, he's just like, oh, my goodness, these aren't the most important issues. I can't even believe that I have to keep talking about this, I feel like Paul's saying, you know, in my head. And this makes me just think about this family of the future that I believe God's building. And there's so much disunity in the body of Christ among the different churches, among the different denominations. And I believe that if we could learn this lesson in this generation, that God loves the whole church, that God actually owns the whole church, that his goal is that we would stop looking at one another's consciences with judgment and arrogance, and instead we'd say, that's really amazing that you're stewarding that in your life so that you can change the world through that. And I believe that God wants to change the church 
through this message of laying down our right to be right. But if we, if we pick up now in verse 13, Paul's going to keep going. He like kind of can't stop himself. He's talking about walking in love now. This is what he says to us. So stop being critical and condemning of other believers, but instead determine to never deliberately cause a brother or sister to stumble and fall because of your actions. I know and am convinced by personal revelation from the Lord Jesus that there is nothing wrong with eating any food, but to the one who considers it to be unclean, it is unacceptable. If your brother or sister is offended because you insist on eating what you want, it is no longer love that rules your conduct. Why would you wound someone for whom the Messiah gave his life just so you can eat what you want? What's our recipe for living clean with one another in relationship with differing consciences? Stop condemning, stop criticizing one another, make a commitment that we don't live our lives in a way that we cause another brother or sister to stumble. I think we have to recognize that the personal freedom that Christ has given us is just that, it's personal. You know, I know and I am convinced by personal revelation from Jesus that there's nothing wrong with having a glass of wine. But if it is unacceptable and unclean to you, it is wrong for you to drink a glass of wine. I know and I'm personally convinced by revelation from Jesus that there's nothing wrong with having a tattoo, but if you consider it unclean, it's unacceptable for you. I know and I am personally convinced by personal revelation from Jesus that there is nothing wrong with celebrating Halloween despite my childhood. But hey, for you, you may, it, it may be something that's unclean. And so it's unacceptable for you. I think we need to lay down, again, our need to have it all be the same for every single person and realize that for every single person, God has a unique call, a unique destiny. And, and so some of us who like, if you have a fair gene, you're like, I don't like this. I want it to be fair for everybody. And can I actually help reframe this for all of us today? That instead of thinking that God's keeping you from having fun in your life, that you'd actually realize that you have a loving father who's for you, who has a destiny over you, who believes in you, who actually is putting guardrails up around you, protecting you, guiding you, seeing the best. Because you know what? As I've grown, you know what God said to me? Jules, you have total freedom there. Do what you want in some areas. And in other areas, he said to me, don't you dare touch that. And, and see, that's how the Holy Spirit, he wants to work and breathe in each of us. So much of this learning to live clean is first we learn to live clean as a righteous, identity, you know, a righteous daughter. And then secondly, we learn to live clean with one another. That we're not in this place of judgment where we're saying, well, my way's the right way. Each one of you has been loved by God, created by God, woven together, and has an identity and a calling. And so we want to be in this place where we love and honor that. And I felt the Holy Spirit say today, the word for each of us today is keep your eyes on your own paper. We're so obsessed with what are other people doing. Can we actually just trust the Holy Spirit who lives in us when we say yes to Jesus? He's a big boy and he wants to do the job. Can we actually trust one another? Yes, let's have conversation. Let's challenge each other. Let's get each other to grow. But let's not do it from this place of trying to make sure that everybody is doing it exactly the same way that we're doing it because, wow, we're going to be frustrated, disappointed, filled with judgment and arrogance. It's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. Okay. There's a lot that I could say about this, but I don't have time. So how do we love and relate to one another in the family of God? I'm going to jump right now down to Romans 14, verse 19. 
and he's going to give us some incredible but very simple marching orders. He says, so then, make it your top priority to live a life of peace with harmony in your relationships, eagerly seeking to strengthen and encourage one another. How are we doing this? How are we taking our time to make it our top priority to live in peace and harmony in our relationships, eagerly seeking to strengthen and encourage one another? You see, this is what the Holy Spirit wants from his family. He wants us to lay down our needs and, and to recognize what he's doing in a room. Again, some of us, we, we may have felt personal freedom that I can buy a lottery ticket or I can play poker. I'm not going to use that freedom to flaunt it to my friend who doesn't feel like that's okay. And at the same time, if I live with more of a cautious conscience, I'm not living to a place of judgment thinking, I cannot believe that they're doing that. We're going to actually assume the best. We're going to learn to ask questions of each other so that not so that we can be right, but so that we can understand. And we're going to ask the Holy Spirit to fill us with his love because what he wants us to do is he wants us to pick love over law and he wants us to pick people over our own personal preference. We're going to lay down those rights and pick up the call that he has. And who modeled this better than anybody? Jesus himself. Because he laid down his life for us. And I believe that this is how we are going to build the family of the future who loves one another, who honors one another, and cares for one another. And I'm just going to invite the Holy Spirit to do the work that I know he wants to do in all of our lives. And so, Holy Spirit, we thank you for your truth, God, for your message. And I just thank you that you're empowering us, God, to see places where maybe we've been judgmental or arrogant, God. And right now, I just sense like you're just washing us white as snow. Just thank you, Father, for what you're teaching us during this series. Thank you that you've given us a new clean heart and that we have this clean conscience. And now we're learning to live in relationship with one another in a way that honors and glorifies you. And so we just thank you for our time together today. And we just invite your presence to be thick now as we transition into worship. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to the message today. To experience more powerful messages, go to vineyardlive.us or join our Vineyard Life Plus community to view conferences, trainings, and special teachings.